Today's reading is Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, and 8 through 11. It can be found on your screen. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I will delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we listen for God's voice in this justice text, um, will you join, join me and join your hearts together in prayer as we ask for God's help in hearing his voice. Heavenly God, we're all more of a mess than we care to admit, and your story tells us that we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever imagined. And we're not just messy in our, in our own lives and our hearts, but our world feels like a mess. It's broken. We await your coming. We, some of us come this morning aching and hurting and grieving and lamenting that we live in a world where, um, where we learn this week about Casey Goodson in Ohio, a world where a grandmother and a mother wonder what, how on earth it can be that, a, that their, the son or the grandson enters into the front door riddled with bullets and shot dead with bringing sandwiches home for the family. And all sorts of other things in this world that have us aching and lamenting and wishing that things worked a different way. We have experiences of beauty. We have experiences of togetherness. We have experiences of that, that make us say, this is why we were created and we were created for this kind of life. 
and then we have experiences that are almost the opposite and we ache for your coming and so now as we lean into this heavily because of the scripture passage we pray that you help us help us to hear what you have to say about this and how you enter in and what you are promising to us as we approach christmas and as we think about your coming we pray in jesus name amen maybe you've heard of nt right who writes books about uh, the Christian faith. Looks like Dan Nelson's definitely heard about N.T. Wright. Many Christians that I've talked to have been helped by N.T. Wright, especially if they had been experiencing mainly a, a, a less thoughtful version of Christianity, let's just put it that way, maybe something that began to feel kind of shallow and they needed more the breadth and depth and more engagement with the scripture story. Um, N.T. Wright's writings often help folks on that kind of journey. And he starts his book called Simply Christian, Why Christianity Makes Sense. He starts it with these lines on page one. We dream the dream of justice. We glimpse for a moment a world at one, a world put to rights, a world where things work out, where societies function fairly and efficiently, where we not only know what we ought to do, but we actually do it. And then we wake up and come back to the reality but what we are hearing, what, but what are we hearing when we're dreaming that dream? It's as though we can hear, not perhaps a voice itself, but the echo of a voice. A voice speaking with calm, healing authority. Speaking about justice, about things being put to rights, about peace and hope and prosperity for all. The voice continues to echo in our imagination, our subconscious. We want to go back and listen to it again, but having woken up, we can't get back into the dream. Other people sometimes tell us that it was just a fantasy and we're half inclined to believe them, even though that condemns us to cynicism. But the voice goes on calling us, beckoning us, luring us to think that there might be such a thing as justice, as the world being put to rights, even though we find it so elusive. We're like moths trying to fly to the moon. We all know there's something called justice, but we quite, can't quite get to it. And today, in today's world, we find ourselves, and I would, I would be inclined to say this is really always, all people of all times, we find ourselves experiencing the sour fruit of politicized public dialogue. And that affects our view of justice. What we end up doing is we end up talking past each other with our different versions of justice. And I say to you, you know, hey, this is this looks like justice and feels like justice to me if this would go this way. And you say back to me, oh, yeah, well, that that version of justice that you just gave is wonderfully convenient for you or for that group of people you're defending. But look what it does to me. Look what it takes away from me and from the people that I'm coming from or that I'm looking at. And we think that it's one or the other, that there's no justice big enough for both of us. And so we get more and more solidified in the either or. You have to pick. Certainly there's not a justice big enough for all. So we learn to look for leaders and laws and courtrooms and elections to finally win our justice. So we can be assured 
that our version of justice wins. And once you've selected your particular hunch about justice, then waiting in the wings are these folks that are all too eager to reinforce that hunch. And to, you know, we know there's TV personalities and we've also come to see, you've, you've seen the movie, right? That social media is actually just there to reinforce what you already believe and in fact, even narrow it with laser focus. You know, that feed on your social media is not just random and chronological, but it's actually built to give a laser focus on this narrow swath of opinion that you already have and to cement you into place. And so the great inclination of us in our world today and of all mankind, humankind really, is to wait and to long for a better world but to do so with a shrinking vision of justice. That's our context that Isaiah 6, I mean Isaiah 61, speaks into. And when you look at it, Isaiah 61, it stands out what we learn. A very important statement made right in the middle of this passage. You probably heard it. Verse 8, for I, the Lord... And in the Hebrew, that would be Yahweh, the name, God's name. For I, the Lord, Yahweh, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. We have a God who loves justice. I wonder, and I, and I invite you to wonder about that and be curious about that. Be curious about... Maybe that's why we, as humans, universally lean towards some hunch of justice. It's why perhaps children on the playground all around the world call out to the monitor or the teacher or the older kids and they say, that's not fair. Because there's a God who loves justice. And since if you're on this call, you might be inclined to believe that that God made you and made all of us and made all of these things, then perhaps it's just hardwired into how we are built as ones who were made by this God. So that's a pretty epic central part of this passage, but it's actually not the one that most um, gets attention during the Advent season. Um, as we look at Isaiah 61, it's interesting. The main point of this passage comes to us through the development and the use of pronouns. Um, there's different pronouns used to kind of talk about the different characters. And so you have the part we just read that is I, Yahweh. You know, it's very clear who that's talking about. That part is I stands for God. And then most of the other parts, it's pretty clear as well, where the pronouns of they or their or you or your it's talking about the listeners, the, the people, whether that's the ancient people, you know, post-exilic people waiting to be restored, looking at the shattered brokenness of all their hopes and longing for someone to come and restore justice, whether that's them. And we also, during Advent, we read ourselves into that they, that you, your. Okay, so there's, there's these groups in this passage that are pretty easy to know because of the pronouns. Who's the character in here? But then the part of this passage that is the most jaw-dropping and that gets the most attention during the season of Advent, it's not really clear who 
those pronouns are talking about. And that's verses, really just the first little stretch starting at verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. You know, who is this me? The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners. I mean, this is preacher stuff right here. This is gold. This is wonderful. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's jubilee, ancient jubilee language, that 50th year stuff where the scales are balanced. And the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. This is lofty, amazing justice language. It's the kind of justice language that is, it's, it's not narrowing. It's not a small, narrow hunch. It's an expansive, full view of justice. It's guaranteed to stretch every listener beyond their narrow hunch of justice. As that voice ends by talking about, not only starting with these groups of people that are usually overlooked, that are justice usually, you know, eh, don't really think about these people, um, the prisoners, you know, the poor, the oppressed. But then it ends, and this would be so huge for the original listeners of this, ends talking about praise springing up from all nations. It's a stretching kind of justice. It's a big kind of justice that includes even those who are kind of like the people we don't imagine who are part of this story. And so this is all spoken about happening with this character that we don't know who this person is. The mystery I, me, first person. Who is this? Who is this who at the beginning of the passage in verse 1 is anointed by the Holy Spirit? Who is this who by the end is clothed with the robes of salvation? Who could this be talking about? And Isaiah 61 is inviting your curiosity about just that question. Just the same way N.T. Wright is inviting your curiosity to wonder about where does that impulse of justice come? How is it that it's almost like you're hearing the echo of a voice inside of yourself? There's some, are you ever curious about, well, what might that voice be? Where is, might there be a, a being behind that voice? What if your narrow hunches are simply fragments of a wide, panoramic justice embedded in you and in this world by someone who put it there. Perhaps your justice hunch, your justice impulses come from a justice bringer who is going to be a justice arriver at one point. Who is this that we're waiting for to arrive and bring justice? One of the stories in the Gospel of Luke about Jesus has him arriving to his hometown synagogue and um, people are pretty fond of what's coming out of his mouth until he opens up the Torah to the page of Isaiah 61 reads these first few lines, the lines where we're going, well, like, who is, you know, and the tradition was to kind of view these lines as a mystery figure. We don't know who this one who arrives is, and Jesus, to, to, to put these words on his own lips, you know, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, 
because he has anointed me. And then he delivers this, these lines of justice. It doesn't end well amidst his listeners. You know, the story actually ends up with him he's basically saying, um, you know, I'm connected to the mystery voice. And it ends with the, the, the people, his hometown folks, driving him to the edge of a cliff and saying, um, let's get rid of you for this. The people had an opportunity to meet the voice behind their hunches and to expand to a broader view of justice. And they got mad. They got really mad. About as mad as you can get. Well, what do you think you'd do? How do you think you would react? What if today someone came along and confronted your micro justice as being too small? How might you act similarly? How might you get really angry? And this passage has to ask that question of us, to, to double check our version of justice and begin to be curious about, is it as wide as God is calling us to? And distinctly ask the question during Advent, which is a time of waiting and longing for Jesus to come, but to ask the question, how ready are you really for Christ's return? Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite writers, says this when talking about Advent. He says, the spiritual life is a life in which we wait. Actively present to the moment, trusting that new things will happen to us. New things that are far beyond our own imaginations, our fantasy or our prediction. That, indeed, is a very radical stance towards life in a world preoccupied with control. Friends, our job on earth is not to accumulate assets and to shore up your piece of the justice pie and to use and leverage every little bit of control you have to help make your justice plan get implemented. If you're a Christian, your job, and Advent reminds us of this, your job is to wait well. To wait with great faith. To wait with radical imagination. Your job is to live today as if tomorrow a mystery voice, and the one behind this mystery voice will return. Your job is to live out a justice today as if a panoramic justice will arrive tomorrow. I invite you to pray with me. God, I can only think of small ways that this incredibly epic challenge of Isaiah 61 applies to me and to others. 
And I hope that others hearing these words this morning and that all of us at City Life can imagine even bigger and more fantastic ways that we might lean into a panoramic justice, that we might look beyond our well-worn arguments and ruts. Not that we leave them fully behind, but that we look up and take the blinders off and wonder about what does justice look like from the one who put the seeds of justice inside us in the first place. May you get glory, more glory, by our own faith expanding as we put more and more faith in you with more and more things this Advent. Help us to live out justice as those who have already been set free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.